Chapter Seventeen of the Benefactress by Elizabeth von Arnim. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Recording by Helen Taylor, Oxford, UK. Axel Lohm was in the hall, having his coat taken from him by a servant. "'You here?' exclaimed Anna, holding out both hands. She was more than usually pleased to see him. "'Manske had a pile of letters for you, and could not get them to you, because he has a pastor's conference at his house. I was there, and saw the letters, and thought you might want them.' "'Oh, I don't want them. At least there's no hurry. But the letters are only an excuse. Now isn't it so?' "'An excuse?' he repeated, flushing. "'You want to see the new arrivals?' "'Not in the very least.' "'Oh, but as you have come one minute too soon, and happened to meet me outside the door, your plan is spoilt. Are those the letters? What a pile!' Her face fell. "'But you're looking for nine more ladies. You want a wide choice. You still have the greater part of your work before you.' "'I know. Why do you tell me that?' "'Because you do not seem pleased to get them.' "'Oh, yes, I am, but I'm tired to-night, and the idea of nine more ladies makes me feel—feel sleepy.' She stood under the lamp, holding the packet loosely by its string and smiling up to him. There were shadows in her eyes, he thought, where he was used to seeing two cheerful little lights shining, and a faint ruefulness in the smile. "'Well, if you're tired, you must go to bed,' he said in such a matter-of-fact tone that they both laughed. "'No, I mustn't,' said Anna. "'I'm on my way to Herr Delvig at this very moment. He's in there,' she said, with a motion of her head towards the dining-room door. "'Tell me,' she added, lowering her voice, "'have you got a brick-kiln at Loam?' "'A brick-kiln? No, why do you want to know?' "'But why haven't you got a brick-kiln?' "'Because there is nothing to make bricks with. Loam is almost entirely sand.' He says there is splendid clay here in one part, and wants to build one. Who, Delvig? Shh! Your uncle would have built one long ago if there had really been clay. I must look at the place he means. I cannot remember any such place. And it is unlikely that it should be as he says. Pray do not agree to any propositions of the kind hastily. It would cost heaps to set it going, wouldn't it? Yes, and probably bring in nothing at all. "'But he tries to make out that it would be quite cheap. "'He says the timber could all be got out of the forest. "'I can't bear the thought of cutting down a lot of trees.' "'If you can't bear the thought of anything he proposes, "'then simply refuse to consider it.' "'But he talks and talks till it really seems that he is right. "'He told me just now that it would double the value of the estate.' "'I don't believe it.' "'If I made bricks, according to him, I could take in twice as many poor ladies. I believe you will be happier with fewer ladies and no bricks, said Axel with great positiveness. Anna stood thinking. Her eyes were fixed on the tip of the finger she had passed through the loop of string that tied the letters together, and she watched it as the packet twisted round and round and pinched it redder and redder. I suppose you never wanted to be a woman, she said considering this phenomenon with apparent interest. Axel laughed. "'The mere question makes you laugh,' she said, looking up quickly. "'I never heard of a man who did want to. But lots of women would give anything to be men.' "'And you are one of them?' "'Yes.' He laughed again. "'You think I would make a queer little man?' she said, laughing too, 
but her face became sober immediately, and with a glance at the shut dining-room door she continued, "'It is so horrid to feel weak. My sister Susie says that I am very obstinate. Perhaps I was with her, but different people have different effects on one.' She sank her voice to a whisper and looked at him anxiously. "'You can't think what an effort it is to me to say no to that man.' "'What, to Delvig?' "'But if that's how you feel, my dear Miss Estcourt, it is very evident that the man must go.' "'How easy it is to say that! Pray who is to tell him to go?' "'I will, if you wish.' "'If you were a woman, do you suppose you would be able to turn out an old servant who has worked here so many years?' "'Yes, I am sure I would, if I felt that he was getting beyond my control.' "'No, you wouldn't. All sorts of things would stop you.' You would remember that your uncle specially told you to keep him on, that he has been here ages, that he was faithful and devoted. I do not believe there was much devotion. Oh, yes, there was. The first evening he cried about dear Uncle Jerkin. He cried? repeated Axel incredulously. He did indeed. It was about something else, then. No, he really cried about Uncle Joachim. He really loved him. Axel looked profoundly unconvinced. "'But after all, those are not the real reasons,' said Anna. "'They ought to be, but they're not. The simple truth is that I am a coward, and I am frightened, dreadfully frightened, of possible scenes.' And she looked at him and laughed ruefully. "'There! <laughs> you see what it is to be a woman. If I were a man, how easy things would be. Please consider the mortification of knowing that if he persuades long enough, I shall give in, against my better judgment. He has the strongest will I think I ever came across. But you have not yet given in, I hope, on any point of importance. Up to now I have managed to say no to everything I don't want to do, but you would laugh if you knew what those no's cost me. Why cannot the place go on as it was? I am perfectly satisfied, but hardly a day passes without some wonderful new plan being laid before me, and he talks, oh! How he talks! I believe he would convince even you. The man is quite beyond your control, said Axel in a voice of anger, and voices of anger commonly being loud voices, this one produced the effect of three doors being simultaneously opened, the door leading to the servants' quarters, through which Marie looked and vanished again, retreating to the kitchen to talk prophetically of weddings, the dining-room door, behind which Delvig had grown more and more impatient to be kept waiting so long, and the drawing-room door, on the other side of which the Baroness had been lingering for some moments, desiring to go upstairs for her scissors, but hesitating to interrupt Anna's business with the inspector, whose voice she thought it was that she had heard. The Baroness shut her door again immediately. "'Aha! The admirer!' she said to herself, and went back quickly to her seat. "'The miss is talking to a younger hare,' she announced, her eyes wider open than ever. "'A younger hare?' echoed Frau von Treumann. "'I thought the inspector was old.' "'It must be Axel Lohm,' said the princess, not raising her eyes from her work. "'He often comes in.' "'He comes courting, evidently,' said the baroness, with a sub-acid smile. "'It has not been evident to me,' said the princess coldly. "'I thought it looked like it,' said the Baroness, with more meekness. "'Is that the Loam who was engaged to one of the Kaiderfels girls? 
some years ago asked frau von treumann yes and she died but did he not marry soon afterwards i heard he married that was the second brother this one is the eldest and he lives next to us and is single frau von treumann was silent for a moment then she said blandly now confess princess that he is the perilous person from whom you think it necessary to defend miss estcourt oh no said the princess with equal blandness i have no fears about him what is he too possessed of an invulnerable heart i know nothing of his heart i said i believe adventurers and no one could call axel lohm an adventurer i was thinking of men who have run through all their own and all their relations money and betting and gambling and who want a wife who will pay their debts ach so said frau von treumann with perfect urbanity and if this talk about protecting miss estcourt from adventurers in a place where there were apparently no human beings of any kind but only trees and marshes might seem to a bystander to be foolishness to the speakers it was luminousness itself and in no way increased their love for each other meanwhile delvig looking through the door and seeing lohm brought his heels together and bowed with his customary exaggeration i beg a thousand times pardon he said i thought the gracious miss was engaged and would not return and i was about to go home i have found the paper and i am coming said anna coldly well good-night she added in english holding out her hand to axel if you will allow me i should like to pay my respects to princess ludwig before i go he said thinking thus to see her later ah wasn't i right she said smiling you are determined to look at the new arrivals how can a man be so inquisitive but i will say good-night all the same i shall be ages with herr delvig and i shall not see you again she shook hands with him and went into the dining-room delvig standing aside with deep respect to let her pass but she turned to say something to him as he shut the door and axel caught the expression of her face the intense boredom on it the profound distrust of self and he went into the princess with an unusually severe and determined look on his own delvig went home that night in a savage mood that young man he said to his wife flinging his hat and coat onto a chair and himself onto a sofa is thrusting himself more and more into our affairs that lohm she asked rolling up her work preparatory to fetching his evening drink i had almost got the miss to consent to the brick kiln she was quite reasonable and went out to get the plan i had made then she met him he is always hanging about and then inquired frau delvig eagerly this petticoat government having to beg and pray for the smallest concession it makes an honest man sick she will not consent she came back as obstinate as a mule it all had to be gone into again from the beginning she will not consent she said lohm would look at the place and advise her aber so was cried frau delvig crimson with wrath advise her did you not tell her that you were her adviser you may be sure i did i told her plainly enough i fancy that lohm had nothing to say here and that her uncle had always listened to me she sat without speaking as she generally does not even looking at me i never can be sure that she is even listening and then i asked her at last if she had lost confidence in me and then 
she said, "'Oh, nine, in that affected foreign way, in the sort of voice that might just as well mean, "'Oh, yeah,' and he imitated with great bitterness Anna's way of speaking German. "'Mark my words, Frau, she is as weak as water for all her obstinacy, and the last person who talks to her can always bring her round.' "'Then you must be the last person.' "'If it were not for that prig Lom, that interfering ass, that incomparable rhinoceros. "'He wants to marry her, of course.' "'If he marries her,' Delvig stopped short, and stared gloomily at his muddy boots. "'If he marries her,' repeated his wife, but she too stopped short. "'They both knew well enough what would happen to them if he married her.' The building of the brick kiln had come to be a point of honour with the Delvigs. Ever since Anna's arrival, their friends, the neighbouring farmers and inspectors, had been congratulating them on their complete emancipation from all manner of control, for, of course, a young, ignorant lady would leave the administration of her estate entirely in her inspector's hands, confining her activities, as became a lady of birth, to paying the bills. Delvig had not doubted that this would be so and had boasted, loudly and continually, of the different plans he had made and was going to carry out. The estate of which he was now practically master was to become renowned in the province for its enterprise and the extent in every direction of its operations. The brick-kiln was a long-cherished scheme. His oldest friend and rival, the head inspector of a place on the other side of Stralsund, had one, and had constantly urged him to have one too, but old Joachim, without illusions as to the quality of the clay, and by no manner of means to be talked into disbelieving the evidence of his own eyes, would not hear of it, and Delvig felt there was nothing to be done in the face of that curt refusal. The friend, triumphing in his own brick-kiln, and his own more pliable master, jeered, dug him in the ribs at the Sunday gatherings, and talked of dependence, obedience, and restricted powers. Such friends are difficult to endure with composure, and Delvig, and still less his wife, for many months past, had hardly been able to bear the word brick mentioned in their presence. When Anna appeared on the scene, so young, so foreign, and so obviously foolish, Delvig, certain now of success, told his friend on the very first Sunday night that the brick kiln was now a mere matter of weeks always a boaster, he could not resist boasting a little too soon. Besides, he felt very sure, and the friend too had taken it for granted when he heard of the impending young mistress that the thing was as good as built. That was in March. It was now the end of April, and every Sunday the friend inquired when the building was to be begun, and every Sunday Delvig said it would begin when the days grew longer. The days had grown longer, would have grown in a few weeks to their longest, as the friend repeatedly pointed out, and still nothing had been done. To the many people who do not care what their neighbours think of them, the torments of the two Delvigs because of the unbuilt brick-kiln will be incomprehensible, yet these torments were so acute that in the weaker moments immediately preceding meals they both felt that it would almost be better to leave Kleinwalde than to stay and endure them, indeed before dinner or during wakeful nights, Frau Delvig was convinced that it would be better to die outright. The good opinion of their neighbours, more exactly the envy 
of their neighbours was to them the very breath of their nostrils in their set they must be the first the undisputedly luckiest cleverest and best off any position less mighty would be unbearable and since anna came there had been nothing but humiliations first the dinner to the manskers from which they had been excluded frau delwig grew hot all over at the recollection of the sunday gathering succeeding it then the renovation of the schloss without the least reference to them without the smallest asking for advice or help then the frequent communications with the pastor putting him quite out of his proper position the confidence placed in him the ridiculous respect shown him his connection with the mad charitable scheme and now most dreadful of all this obstinacy in regard to the brick-kiln it was becoming clear that they were fairly on the way to being pitied by the neighbours pitied horrid thought the great thing in life was to be so situated that you can pity others but to be pitied yourself oh thrice accursed folly of old joachim to leave kleinwalder to a woman frau delwig could not sleep that night for hating anna she lay awake staring into the darkness with hot eyes and hating her with a heartiness that would have petrified that unconscious young woman as she sat about a stone's throw off in her bedroom motionless in the chair into which she had dropped on first coming upstairs too tired even to undress after her long struggle with frau delwig's husband the englanderin will ruin us cried frau delwig suddenly unable to hate in silence any longer Wie? was exclaimed delwig who had dozed off and was startled she will she will cried his wife will what ruin us the englanderin ach was unsinn she can be managed it is lohm who is the danger it is lohm who will ruin us if we could get rid of him ach gott if he would die exclaimed frau delwig with fervent hands raised heavenwards ach gott if he would only die ach gott ach gott mimicked her husband irritably for he disliked being suddenly awakened people never die when anything depends on it he grumbled turning over on to his side and he cursed axel several times and went to sleep end of chapter 17